Welcome to the Rimfire Tactical Podcast. This is your host, Chris, from rimfiretactical.com, and I'm glad you're here. Welcome to episode 69, everybody. Hope you guys are staying safe, having lots of fun, enjoying the extremely warm and um, actually just flat out hot weather that we are having this summer. And uh, if you're one of those folks that's going to complain about how hot it is, just remember in a few months, it's going to be really cold. Some areas colder than others, but uh, you know, it's coming. So try to keep those things in mind. Got a really fun episode for you guys today. Just going through a few different things. Um, Haven't done one of these in a little while, but for those of you that are familiar, we have a Facebook group called Rimfire Tactical. And um, in that group, I have a pinned post where I ask specifically, what topics would you like to see or hear discussed on the podcast? And, you know, we do these from time to time where we'll either, you know, we'll we'll share some reviews or we will go through and try to answer some questions or talk about things that different folks have asked us to, to talk about. So what I thought I would do is just jump right in and go through some of this today and Hopefully we can get uh, several of these things covered before you know, we run out of time and you know let you get on with your day. Um, so going back here, uh, let's see, a review of non-scope optics. What to use and why? That's from Scott. So uh, that's a great question, Scott. You know, uh, when it comes to, or not necessarily a question, but just a, you know, a request, I guess we could say. You know, when it comes to shooting uh, obviously, if you've listened to any episodes, and oh yeah, by the way, I think I mentioned it, this is episode 69, so there's at least 68 others out there, but um, if you have uh, listened to any of the previous podcast episodes here, you'll know that I am a really big fan of glass, uh, especially good glass, and so I love rifle scopes that are you know, above and beyond, just, you know, clear glass, everything tracks like it should. Um, basically, you know, scopes that are doing exactly what they were designed to do, um, not letting down or anything like that. I feel the same way when it comes to the, uh, when you're saying uh, non-scope optics, I'm thinking that you probably are talking about like uh, red dots, things along those lines. So from my standpoint, like I said, you know, huge fan of really good glass when it comes to rifle scopes. Feel the exact same way when it comes to uh, red dots or anything along those lines. And just like uh, when it comes to scopes, there are great options at multiple price points, at least from my experience. Um, You know, for a low cost optic, uh, or red dot, something that I have used on several rifles, and I'm actually, um, you know, gosh, I don't even. I think I have probably a half dozen of these things. The the little Bushnell TRS 25 to me is a great little optic. If you're using it on a um, you know a standard semi-auto, uh, say a 10-22 or something along those lines. It has a Picatinny rail attachment. If you're using it on a handgun, same deal. If you're using it on 
an AR variant, like a Smith & Wesson M&P-1522 or something along those lines. Uh, you also can get uh, them that have the, I believe it's like a one-inch uh, riser that's part of the mount to get the red dot up a little bit higher for you. But to me, those were a really nice little red dot. Uh, the ones that I have have tracked very well. The dot is a little on the small side. If I remember correctly, I think it's like a 2MOA dot. But it works extremely well. And um, can't say that I've ever really had an issue with those in terms of not tracking, not working properly. Uh, and I've used those for everything from handguns and... Um, uh, you know, target shooting with handguns to hunting with handguns. And the same thing goes for um, that little optic. I've used it with Steel Challenge on a, uh, a Taxol uh, 22. And, you know, it's it's worked great. So no complaints on those whatsoever. Going from there, um, the other red dots that I have had really the the best success with, but also just really been impressed by are the Seymour red dots. Uh, I use a Seymour railway with the click switch on my uh, rifle that I shoot still challenge with. Now, the great thing about the Seymour railways is you can use those with any size uh, diode. So different uh, size dots. So for example, I ordered mine with an 8 MOA dot because I wanted something that was big and easy to see without being too big. I've also shot several uh, rifles and handguns with the Seymours on them with uh, dots up to 12 MOA. And, you know, those are obviously bigger. They're also a little easier to see. Um, but depending on how far you're shooting and what you're shooting at, they can make it rather difficult to to see the target. To give you an example of how that dot can be an issue, I took my Steel Challenge rifle to a silhouette, silhouette match one day only because I wanted to try it after the match. I wanted to shoot some of the silhouettes and see how I did with that rifle using the red dot instead of using a, uh, a magnified scope. And... I didn't have a lot of expectation for it, quite frankly, because on the closer targets, that would be one thing. But, um, you know, I've never dialed, never had to dial, never had a need to dial on a red dot for various distances. And so I thought, you know, we're just going to play with these little, you know, 40 or 50 yard targets because this particular match shoots some um, silhouettes at 40 yards, shoots some others at 50 yards standing. But then it does some modified things where you're shooting some of the other silhouettes. I think the chickens are at like 82 yards and the turkeys are at 100. And so what I ran into with that 8 MOA dot is that I actually had a difficult, a much more difficult time than I thought I would hitting those silhouettes. Because the problem I ran into was the red dot actually covered and, and completely almost, well almost completely uh, obscured the silhouettes to the point you couldn't see them. So I was guessing a lot, and I was also, because I hadn't shot that rifle at 50 yards, I was guessing in terms of where the impact was in relation to the dot. Um, when I put the 
the uh, Seymour on that rifle, I set everything up on a 25-yard target because in Steel Challenge, at least at the club I shoot at, we don't have room to get targets past, I think it's around 28 yards, maybe 30. I know in, in a uh, an official Steel Challenge match, you'll have steel out to uh, 35 yards. But, um, you know, those, state, those plate sizes are so generous that my thought was I had a 25-yard target already set up, so it was just easier to do that. Um, but I'm a huge fan of the Seymours. One of the things that you run into sometimes when you're talking about red dots is that you have a um, you have an issue with the dot uh, flaring or um, becoming fuzzy is a description I hear a lot. Uh, there's lots of different descriptions, just to be blunt. Lots, lots of ways people will describe what they see with the dot. From my standpoint, the 8-MOA dot in the Seymour is really crisp all the way to the edge. So there's no flaring or no um, fuzziness. There's nothing where it looks like it's disappearing on you uh, and just sort of fading away. It is a crisp red circle all the way out. Um, now, on uh, my Steel Challenge pistol, that I shoot with an optic. I actually use a Seymour as well. I use the Seymour RTS-2, which is a um, smaller red dot. Think of it more so, it's not as small as like a, a SIG, uh, oh my gosh, uh, RMR, or not, not SIG, but uh, Trigicon RMR or anything like that. But it's a, it's a smaller sight. And I also shoot an 8MOA dot on that one as well. And so, uh, I feel like those those Seymours are fantastic. Um, they hold up very, very well. The one thing I can recommend on the, the uh, railway, though, I am a big fan of the click switch only because you can actually feel as you turn up the intensity of the um, the, the brightness, you can feel that. And so... It, you'll pay a few dollars more for it. To me, it was worth it. Uh, the standard switch is more, there's no tension. Um, you're just, you turn the dial, it's off. You continue to rotate the dial and then the brightness, you know, it just gets brighter. The one thing I will tell you though, for sure, and this is true with any red dot, or most red dots, is that when you're done using it, you do want to make sure you go ahead and turn that thing off because if you don't turn it off, you'll run the battery down. Now, some of the sites out there, the RTS2 that I was talking about, that one does have an auto off feature after so long. But after I finish each stage, I go ahead and still turn it off just to save battery because one of the things I don't want to have to do in the middle of a match is to uh, start changing batteries and things like that. Um, another really good brand that I've been impressed with, uh, are the Holosuns. I've got several friends that purchased the Holosuns, both with the red dot or a green dot. And, uh, they've been really impressed by them in terms of the repeatability, um, the crispness, um, the dot or the, uh, the dot is completely different on those. So you have a. Um, I believe it is a two MOA dot 
And then depending on whether you have the 510 or the 507, because that's the two models that uh, my buddies have, you either have a two MOA dot inside of a 32 MOA um, ring or a two MOA dot inside of a 64 MOA ring. But in either case, um, they're bright, they're crisp, and um, my buddy's been really impressed by them. And to be frank, had I seen those in person, I might have even went that way over Seymour. But um, I can't tell you that I'm unhappy with the Seymours in any way. The only thing that I, I can see as a benefit with the Hollow Suns would be the example I gave you of my rifle when I took it out to shoot or to uh, try it out on silhouettes. Having the solid dot uh, at 8MOA made it kind of challenging on those silhouettes. If I had instead had that 2MOA dot with the circle around it, still would have had, you know, um, plenty of size to, to be able to see it on steel, but would have had a smaller aiming point, which could be a bit more usable in terms of hunting or, uh, you know, something like silhouette, should you choose to do something along those lines. But, uh, you know, here's the thing. There's a ton of brands out there. And, um, I mean, from my experience with scopes, uh, I feel like it's kind of the same thing when it comes to red dots. You just have to sort of check them out, figure out what fits your budget, what fits your requirements. You know, um, I use the phrase a lot, you know, it checks all the boxes. And so the thing about it is, when if I'm talking about a scope or a rifle or heck, it could be we're talking about something in the business. If I'm telling you it checks all the boxes, it's checking all the boxes that I'm looking for. And that's something that everybody kind of has to identify for themselves. You know, what exactly is it that you're looking for? Are you looking for something that's really lightweight? Because, you know, there's lots of red dots that are out there that I'm sure are fantastic, but they're really heavy. And sometimes, you know, you have to figure out what's more important. Is lighter weight more important to you than the brightness of the dot? Or is it that cost is the, the number one uh, box you need to check? You need a low cost option. And then once you figure out, okay, I have a certain amount I'm gonna spend on this thing, then you have to look at all the different models that fall into that category. And if you have an option to do this, and right now, I know it's tough, man. I know it's tough to find anything anywhere. And depending on where you live, you may have a big box store and they may have some inventory and they may not have much. And, and you know, depending on where you live, some of the, your local shops, they may be lacking when it comes to inventory but if you're able to go in and look at several of them you know several different red dots look at the size of the dot look at the uh the way that it, it, it suits your eyes you know just figure out exactly what you're looking for you know the size that you want do you want something small do you want something that's bigger do you want a small window a, a big window are you looking for a red dot or are you looking for a green dot you know, just figure out what you want and then use those features 
to, to narrow down your search. And of course, the best way I've found to do any of this, if you have it as an option, is to, to hit up your friends or maybe go to a range. Get behind as many dots as you can. If you can shoot some rifles or shoot some handguns that have them on there, it will make a world of difference. Uh, like I said, I absolutely would not hesitate one bit to buy one of the Holosuns. As a matter of fact, I'm probably going to end up adding one to a Browning Buckmark rifle that I have. Uh, I bought it just to have as another option for Steel Challenge. Originally, the plan was to shoot with irons, and um, I still will do that, I'm sure. But I think it would be neat to have that as a that whole sun is something I could just pop right off as well. So anyway, uh, Scott, I hope that helps um, you know answering some of the questions. So guy DeMarco, guys talking about, he said, hey, uh, uh, maybe you could talk about the different types of comps like NRL 22, Steel Challenge, Two Gun 22, Silhouette. Um, you know, I talk a lot about those on different episodes. Um, I'm fortunate, although I feel like I live in an area where we don't really have that many matches at the same time we do have some variety but uh you know from my experience the one thing that i would tell you is if you've never competed in a rimfire match or any match for that matter i can't encourage it enough i can't tell you how much fun you can have shooting in some sort of competition and i understand not everybody feels that way about competition not everybody likes the um, the competitive atmosphere. Um, but what I have found is that the difference between shooting competitions and sports, per se, is that I know several people, very good shooters, very good friends of mine, who were not exactly, or they don't have an athletic background. They didn't grow up playing sports. They didn't, um, you know, it, they just didn't enjoy that. They didn't like that competitive atmosphere in terms of, you know, somebody was going to always be bigger, stronger, faster, hit harder, um, hit the ball farther, whatever. And so while some of us love sports and love the competitive aspect and like that really appeals to us, totally understand there's some folks out there. They just don't enjoy that. But what I have found is a lot of those folks, again, some good friends of mine, they don't care about competing with you or me. What they enjoy doing is testing out themselves and testing out their equipment. And so from my experience, there is no better way to do that than to actually go and shoot in a match. And the reason that I'm such a big fan of the matches is because it will, it will expose you with your issues. It will also be very rewarding for you with the things that you do right. So think of it like this. Give me a second. I'll take a little COVID coffee. Think of it this way. How often have you thought to yourself or have you heard somebody say, man, this rifle and scope, like this combo is, it's magic. Um, you know, my favorite phrase and the one that gets made fun of so often 
in the shooting sports is, oh, it's a half MOA shooter all day long. Dot, dot, dot. As long as I do my part. And so people talk about their rifles all the time and how great they shoot. And most people, if they're being honest, even if the rifle doesn't shoot that well, I think most people still say it shoots great because they don't want to admit maybe they made a bad decision when it came to buying. Or usually, it's real hard for a lot of us to admit, you know, the rifle probably shoots great. It's just the guy pulling the trigger, the lady pulling the trigger. We're the, the weak point in the equation. And in most cases, though, that's, that's going to be the case. So a competition will point out your flaws. It will let you know what you're doing right. It will help you understand some issues that maybe you need to address either in your form, your fundamentals. Uh, it may be something that it's not necessarily those things that's the issue, but you need to work specifically on getting into position faster. Uh, lots of different things. You know, if you listen to the last episode, I was talking about a um, PRS match that I had recently shot. And there was a few things that I did right in that match. There's a lot of things that I did wrong. And really, I took away more notes from that match than probably any of the previous dozen um, NRL 22 or PRS style matches that I've shot. And a lot of where I made the biggest mistakes and had the biggest revelations was that a, I was way too slow getting into positions and moving from one position to the next. I was too slow in finding the targets once I got into position. And then once I was in position, I was rushing shots because I was slow on the other things. So I was trying to make it up with fast shooting. And, you know, while each of those things can work for you, if you don't practice that, you know, suddenly you're just, you're moving slow, you're sloppy, and then you're, you're rushing shots and you're missing. And, um, that's, that's not, that's not going to make you competitive in a match. But even if your goal isn't to win the match, that's also going to be very frustrating for you when you see other people do it and they're getting hits and you're figuring out, shoot, you know, there's, there's so many things I could have done better here. Um, but the other thing that a going to competition will do is it's going to give you an opportunity to get around other shooters. You're going to get a chance to see other equipment that you may or may not have had a chance to look at before. And it's going to give you the ability to ask questions to other folks who maybe they've shot longer than you, or they're more, they're more um, successful in this particular type of shooting, whatever it might be. And what you're going to find is regardless of the 22 match you go to, and I've been to all of them from, from Silhouette to PRS to NRL 22, um, Steel Challenge, Bench Rest. I've been to all of them. And if you let someone know that you're a new shooter or you're new and this is your first match, you will see people go out of their way to offer advice, to offer any equipment that you don't have, to answer any questions, make sure you understand the course of fire, maybe give you some tips or tricks on how to shoot the stage. They will go out of their way 
shooters are some of the best people I've ever met in terms of accepting new people into their sport. And if you don't believe me, go play in a golf tournament. Tell somebody there it's your first time. You'll find some people who may be pretty nice about it, but you're going to have a lot of people who are like, well, just get back, you know, just enjoy the day, the day and kick back and drink some beer because I'm not telling you squat. And, you know, that's not to pick on golfers. I love playing golf. But at the same time, it's just been my experience, you know, in um, shooting comps versus some of the other options that are out there. In terms of the different competitions and, you know, what you may may like, I'll tell you, I've learned that I love them all, with the exception of bench rest. I, it's not that I don't necessarily like bench rest. It just is not something that I enjoyed nearly as much as the others. I absolutely love shooting the NRL 22 matches, uh, PRS style matches. Love those things. Um, I was actually trying to figure out how to get, there's a, Chris Simmons is having an NRL 22 X match. Uh, in a few weeks, and I was trying to figure out how to get to that, but I'm I'm going to be on an airplane flying back the day that it's happening, and it doesn't look like I'm going to be able to rework my flights. But I love those matches. I love them because it is as big of a test of me as it is my equipment. And from my standpoint, if you've listened to previous episodes, you know this, uh, my goal has been to take all of the equipment out of the equation. My feeling was if I have... Uh, as good of equipment as I can can afford, and that's going to be a different number, a different thing. It's going to mean different things to every person, but I thought if I can take the rifle out of the equation and know that I have a rifle that is completely repeatable and as accurate as anything out there, I'm good. I feel if I can take the optic and the mounting system out of the equation, I know that the, the optic is clear, it's precise, it, the adjustments are repeatable. I know if I dial up 8, um, eight mils or 0.8 mils or whatever the, the distance is, if I dial that up in elevation, when I bring that back down to zero, I know that rifle, uh, that point of impact, aim and impact, it's going to come right back to, to where it was before. So I've taken the rifle out of the equation. I took the scope out of the equation. I took the mounting system out of the equation. Can't tell you how often I've been out shooting with somebody and the groups are just all over the place. And what we finally figure out is it's their mounting system. It's the scope base or it's the, um, the rings holding the scope. Something's loose. Something's too tight on the scope body and it's binding up the, uh, the internal adjustments. Um, so, you know, I went with the, the best rifle system I could buy. Um, the best optic I could buy for my needs may not be for your needs, but for my me, not my needs, I went with the best mounting system I could buy again, in my standpoint, um, when it comes to a bipod, uh, I've got a few different ones. Uh, I'm a big fan of the Atlas bipods, uh, recently picked up a Thunder Beast and I really like it. Although I bought that one secondhand and it's got spiked feet. And so I've got to get some rubber feet. To, to shoot from uh, some of the different platforms because rubber feet on concrete floors when you're shooting prone um, in some of the matches or even if you're shooting from a uh, off of a bench, which the last match I shot, some of those, you're never sitting down shooting from a bench, but like you're leaning over 
or you're shooting off of a bench and then you're dropping down and shooting off the concrete and everything. So spike feet and concrete don't go well together. But, um, you know, I'm just a big fan of, of having equipment that sort of takes all the equipment questions out. Um, even on the ammo, uh, I've spent a fair amount of time testing ammo, lot testing the ammo to make sure that the ammo I'm shooting in a match is the most accurate ammo that I have in that rifle. And so at the end of the day, if I don't perform well in a match, I don't have to wonder what's going on with my rifle, my scope, my ammo. I don't have to wonder if my, my scope mount came loose or something. I know the equipment did its job. It's just me that let the equipment down instead of the equipment letting me down. So that's why I'm a big fan of the, the PRS and the NRL 22 matches. There's a lot of movement. There's a lot of, um, of challenges. And like I said, it forces you to get better. I've talked about this dozens of times before in previous episodes. As much as I love shooting competition, I'm a hunter at heart. I love small game hunting. I like all hunting, but I love small game hunting. I love uh, squirrel hunting or, uh, you know, anything along those lines, varmint, uh, pest control, you name it. And so to me, the NRL 22 and the PRS style matches, those are a perfect combination. Um, you know, through the years, I've shot hundreds, if not thousands of squirrels leaning against an oak tree or uh, a maple or a hickory or whatever. And, um, you know, I'm resting the rifle on that tree, just like you might do in one of those matches. I have killed hundreds of groundhogs uh, through the years resting my rifle on a fence post or on a, uh, a brace um, in a fence line. I can't tell you the number of uh, animals I've taken through the years, mostly varmints, but you know, some big game as well, shooting prone. So there's so many different ways that the NRL 22 or PRS style matches can help you, specifically if you enjoy hunting. You can learn to get in and out of position faster. You can learn how to get the um, your scope on the animal much quicker. So there's just tons and tons of benefits to it outside of just the fact that they're so much fun. Um, enough about that. Let's talk about Steel Challenge real quick because that's the next thing Guy mentions. Steel Challenge is something that's fairly new to me. I only shot it for uh, a couple of years now, and I love it. I love it so much because... It's fast. It's totally different than the other uh, types of matches that I shoot. You know, the goal is to um, hit, you know, one shot, one hit per plate, and the fastest time wins. So it rewards um, some, you know, some form of accuracy. Uh, there's nothing judging you whether you hit the edge of the plate or you center uh, the plate. But it's all about the speed. It's all about... Um, being accurate and really it's about focus focusing on what you're doing instead of just bringing the gun up and pulling the trigger while you're swinging the gun um, it's a lot of fun and in uh, steel challenge matches if I remember correctly the closest the plate can be is 15 feet or I'm sorry 15 yards 
the farthest away it can be is like 35 yards. So you can take a 22 rifle or handgun, um, semi-auto rifle or handgun, or even a revolver. You can take that and um, put a, a red dot on or your, your irons because you can shoot irons or a red dot, either one. And if you've got a 25-yard zero, you're good. A 25-yard zero, you are money for the steel that's as close as 15 yards. You're money on the steel that's as far out as 35 yards. And it's wonderful for getting you to focus on being ready to pull the trigger, but don't pull the trigger until the dot is where you need it. Different people shoot different ways, and I am certainly not the expert at all. I'm actually, um, one of the things that I'm, I'm focused on over the next few months is we're going to be bringing on different competitors from these different um, types of competition because everyone has their different takes on it. And, you know, lots of us can say, well, I want a match, but winning a match versus winning lots of matches is a huge difference. Um, you can get lucky and win a match. I've done it a bunch, but it's the consistency is the key. And so I've listened to different steel challenge competitors who talk about their swinging left to right or right to left. And as the dot hits the edge of the plate, they pull the trigger and they never stop swinging the rifle or handgun. And then I've heard others talk about how they go from target to target with just a very minute, just barely noticeable pause on each target. And when they pause, that's when they pull the trigger and get to hit. So, I don't know that there's a right way or a wrong way to do it, but I can tell you that it will learn, it will help you learn better trigger control, how to, how to um, prep for the shot and will absolutely uh, just cause you to have so much fun. I'm yet to go to a single steel challenge match where I would watch someone shoot. And when they came off the line, even if they didn't shoot as well as they thought they would, and they're aggravated and you can see that on their face, they're still smiling because it's so much fun. So I can't encourage you enough that. Um, and you don't have to have ultra like Gucci equipment. Um, if you've got a 1022 or a Smith and Wesson M and P 1522 or any of the other AR style rifles, if you've got you know any sort of a semi-auto rifle and the same thing goes for handguns, you could have something as nice and um, everything as like a, a Valkortsen rifle or a kid rifle or Valkorts and pistol. You can have a Smith and Wesson 41, uh, which are, you know, just phenomenal, uh, handguns as well, but you can go shoot that same match with a Ruger Mark one or a Mark two or a Mark three or four, uh, in any variation. Uh, you can shoot it with a Walther. You can shoot it with a, a Taurus TX 22. There is no, uh, price limit or price minimum that you have to have as long as you have a semi-auto or like I said, also a, a revolver, as long as you have one that is fairly accurate, it cycles well and doesn't, you know, have a lot of issues with jamming, something I would recommend, clean it before you shoot the match, 
uh, take that from somebody who has shot matches with dirty guns and had jams in the middle of a match. But I can't tell you how often I wish I could shoot Steel Challenge. I would literally shoot Steel Challenge and the PRS style matches every weekend if it were an option for me. Um, the next one that Guy mentions in here is the uh, uh, 2-Gun 22. For those of you that have never had a chance to shoot a match like this, uh, they're so much fun. I personally have never shot an organized one before, but me and several friends used to shoot these matches a lot. And actually, we would take it one step further. Uh, some of us would, not everybody. And we would actually make it a three-gun match. And so what we were doing is not your traditional three-gun, where you're talking about a handgun, uh, a semi-auto rifle, and a shotgun. But uh, typically in a two-gun match, you have a rifle and you have a handgun where my friends and I, we would extend it out and make it a three gun match is we would have stages that we would set up for our handguns. We would also use those same stage layouts, only we would double the distance to the targets. And that would be our semi-auto stages uh, for semi-auto rifle. And then we would have some different stages that we would set up that had longer range targets. And traditionally, we were shooting those pretty much with uh, a bolt action. A couple of my buddies would shoot uh, like heavy barrel 1022s. <clears throat> Sorry about that. Need a little coffee. Um, some of them would, would shoot like a heavy barrel 1022, whether it was a custom gun uh, that they had put together themselves, or maybe it was something that they had like a kid super grade or something like that. They would use those on the the stages that we would you know technically call like the long range stages or even um, the bolt gun stages, but usually they would not use those rifles on the semi auto rifle stages, even though they were semi autos because you needed something much lighter weight and faster. So those matches were essentially what we we cobbled together way before any of us had ever even heard of these types of matches. We had a, the pistol stage would be very similar to a, a blended IDPA, well, or USPSA, because we weren't, we weren't drawing from concealment, but you would draw the handgun and sometimes you were shooting paper. Most of the time you were shooting plates. So it's kind of a, a blend of USPSA meets Steel Challenge. That would be the handgun portion. And then the rifle portion would be, like I said, just doubling the distance. So if we were shooting a, uh, a paper target at 25 yards and then a piece of steel at uh, 28 yards or 30 yards, but it was 15 yards to the right, from the paper target. I mean, we would have typically, um, we would normally have like five different targets and you would have two shots per on the handgun. And we would do the same thing with the rifle. Like I said, we just double the distance and we would vary it more so with the rifle as well. But, uh, but back then what we were usually doing is we were using a 1022 and cause this has been years ago, it was typically a 1022. Uh, most of the time, these were factory barrels. 
uh, and we would we left the sights on because back in those days the red dots that were around were out of our price range the ones that i remember specifically would be like your you know what i think of some of the best red dots in the world like the aim points and, and the trijicons um those just weren't in our budget back then and frankly not exactly the probably the best fit on a 1022 especially the trijicons but uh, we were shooting irons and um and then like i said on the bolt guns this is before any of us could afford and Anschutz or anything. So we were shooting, uh, some of my buddies had Marlins or Savages. Uh, I shot a 541T Remington, you know, just fun stuff. So it's a great way to be able to go out and enjoy a lot of shooting uh, and really put your rifle and your handgun to the test, whether you shoot a two gun or a three gun. Um, the last one that the guy mentions here is, um, the uh, silhouette and silhouette to me is it is an incredible sport it's something that i really enjoy because it is an absolute challenge especially to me um i have always enjoyed shooting prone um i, I don't mind shooting off of a bench um where i have really i think grown so fond of the NRL type matches and silhouette is I don't typically shoot offhand even when I'm hunting or anything else typically don't take the offhand shots and uh, you know something that forces you to do something you don't ordinarily do it makes you better and like anything in this world the more you practice the better you get so when you go to a silhouette match if you've never shot one before, just know the guys who are shooting really well, they don't just shoot once a week. They're out practicing all the time. And frankly, that's going to be true in any shooting sport, just like it's going to be true in any other sport. The old adage about practice makes perfect. I don't know that that's exactly true. Uh, I've, the variation that I've always thought made the most sense was perfect practice makes perfect. But I can tell you, practicing in general will never hurt your performance. It will only help you. So if you've never shot a silhouette match, you're going to shoot chickens at 40 yards. You're going to shoot pigs at 60 yards. I believe, if I remember correctly, it's 77 yards. That's the range for the turkeys. And then you're going to shoot rams at 100 yards. And these are all metallic silhouette targets. Um, you fire one round per target if you hit the target and it falls down that is a hit if you hit the target and it spins but does not fall down that is a miss if you miss the target that is a miss in the world of silhouette um, a perfect score would be a 40 meaning you fired 40 rounds and hit all 40 targets and um, I'm not going to Google it, but let's just say there's not that many people who have shot a perfect score. Does it happen? Yes. Does it happen every year that someone hits you know, all 40 in a, a sanctioned match? I'm sure it does. But it is a very challenging sport because you are shooting completely unsupported standing 
So not only do you have to make sure your dope is right for the rifle, you have to, you know, you know that when you're set up to shoot those chickens at 40 yards, you're good. When you dial the elevation to go out to the, the, the pigs, the turkeys, the rams, every, each time you dial that scope, it's moving properly, just like in the other types of matches, the NRL and, and uh, PRS style. You need a, a rifle that's accurate. You need a scope that tracks well. And then you need ammo that performs as it should. You need consistent ammo. If you have uh, ammo that is terribly inconsistent, you may have three rounds that go into a nice little cluster at whatever range, but you have five rounds that are either impacting way high or way low. When it comes to shooting a match where you've got 10 targets at each range, that's at least, more than likely, that's at least four misses if that's a consistent, you know, the consistency of your ammo. Two flyers out of every five rounds. Now you've got four flyers. So you're probably, even if you had impacts on every target that the ammo shot to point of aim, you're still. On, on those flyers, you're still going to miss four per distance. So you're down 16 points. So you're down 16 just based off of flyers. That doesn't account for you and your movement or uh, your lack of trigger control or anything like that. So think specifically when it comes to silhouette. Um, if you've never tried it, absolutely Google it. Check with your local clubs. See if you can find a local match. As far as the gear goes, where NRL 22 and PRS really don't have any restrictions as far as a weight limit, um, NRL 22 does have some some different classes, and, and maybe PRS does too. I can't remember uh, as far as like the, the cost of the equipment. I know NRL 22 does. That can put you into different classes. In terms of silhouette, you do have different classes. So you have classes that are based off of weight. So you need a rifle and scope along with you know, bases, rings, however you're mounting it all up. You do need a, a combination that keeps the rifle within the weight class that you're looking to shoot. You also need a rifle that balances well and you need a good trigger. It doesn't have to be super light. I would recommend against a super light trigger. And this is coming from somebody who loves their triggers down into the ounces. Um, what you also need is you need to know your, your dope and you need to practice your form. In silhouette, you don't get any support, which means no shooting slings, no tripods, no leaning across a a bench or a post, you are standing holding that rifle and you are shooting. So your form matters. The way that you hold the rifle matters. And it's different for different people. I've seen some people that have found that they are steadier holding the, the forend of the rifle at the very end of the forend and putting their maybe their thumb wrapping it over the barrel, they are steadier on target holding the rifle that way.
I've seen other people who insist that they are much steadier by having their, if they're a right-handed shooter, having their left hand, um, their, their left elbow against their body and almost making like a perfect 90 degree angle at their wrist and laying their palm out flat and letting the rifle rest on the palm. I've seen others with all kinds of variations in between. Now, some of the way you hold the rifle is going to be dictated by your rifle. And um, especially if you're shooting a repeater, the types of magazines, how those magazines fit. Um, you know, to give you two extreme examples, if I shoot one of my Voodoo rifles, I can't shoot it and hold it the same way that I can one of my, my Anschutz rifles, Anschutz rifles. Uh, just can't hold it the same way. The magazines on the Voodoos, you know, the perk of those things is they're big AICS style magazines. So they're a great trainer for your, your centerfire rifle. They're also really big magazines that are in the way when I try to hold the rifle the same way that I would my on shoot 1712. Um, so you have to figure out the best way for you to hold the rifle that you're shooting in terms of, uh, scopes and magnification that's really a personal preference some people love lots of magnification some don't from my perspective I typically like to have a lot of magnification and I believe for years now the the two scopes that I have seen talked about the most on silhouette forums and sil and, and just in general in a silhouette conversation a lot of people love the Leupold FX3 25 power. Uh, another really popular scope is the, the Leupold uh, 6.5 to 20 EFR, which stands for extended focal range. Um, that's a different version of their six and a half to 20 uh, uh, varmint scope or you know, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and the EFR means that where the traditional six and a half to 20 will parallax down to 50 yards, the EFR will actually focus and parallax all the way down to like 10 meters. So um, it's really popular, not only with rimfire shooters, but with um, air gun shooters as well, because typically most of their matches are held at 10 meters. But ultimately, uh, you know, you can shoot it. You can shoot that type of match with whatever combination you have. And most of the matches that I've attended, while they do have classes, hunter class or you know whatever class uh, based off of weight limits, if you show up with a rifle and it's your first match and you know they know you're not really going to be more than likely a threat to win that match, they're going to let you compete with what you have. They're not going to tell you, hey, I'm sorry, you've brought your CZ452 varmint model. And you've got this six and a half to 20 by 44 millimeter objective Simmons uh, scope on it. And we're not going to let you shoot because your rifle's too heavy. They're going to let you shoot because they want you to have a good time. And that's what's key in all these sports. Even if you show up in an NRL 22 match and your ammunition, or I'm sorry, your rifle is out of production by several years. So they can't really get an MSRP and they say, Hey, technically you're going to be in uh, the open class, but 
we just want you to have a great time. So come on out, shoot the match. Don't worry about the score, you know. In silhouette, it's purely you, your equipment, doing the job and doing the work. And almost all the work is being done by you. So trigger control, breathing, and relaxing to get a good sight picture. That's everything in silhouette. Um, I can tell you, again, if you get a chance to shoot any of these types of matches, whether you've shot any competition in the past at all, be it handgun, rifle, shotgun, whatever, I, I just highly encourage you, if given the opportunity, go out and shoot comps. You will have a great time. You will be able to find out what you need to do better. You'll be able to see what your equipment um, does and, and what you need to work on. And you'll also be able to figure out by talking and watching other shooters, you'll be able to figure out any equipment that you don't have that you're looking to purchase. You're going to figure out based off what they do and what they tell you, what they have found works or doesn't work. And here's the last thing I'll mention about going to a comp. If you're thinking about getting into competition, if you're thinking about buying a rifle or a handgun and you're not sure, go to the match anyway. I've never been to a match where a new shooter showed up, or you don't have to be a new shooter, but someone showed up who said they were just there to watch because they wanted to learn and they didn't have people offering to let them shoot their rifles, their handguns, their ammo. When people are asking questions, they're saying, hey, come here, shoot this rifle, check it out. Uh, I, I can't tell you of a single time I've ever been at any competition where people didn't do that. I had a guy, the first time I went to a bench rest match, I was watching different people. Um, I watched, the, you know, it's a national match that I'm watching. I had a fellow who's never met me before, who just in com conversation, he he hears me say, well, I've never shot bench rest or anything. I just want to see what it was all about. That man had me sitting down at uh, behind his rifle and had me shooting card after card going through, uh, I guess, two, two and a half boxes of his Ely 10X ammo, his best ammo that shot the best in his rifle because he wanted me to understand the difference of how, why in Ventress it's so important to watch the wind, how um, it's important to keep your, like in his case, he wanted everything off the gun except for the trigger finger when it was time to press the trigger, not slap it. That guy spent 35 bucks or more, but more importantly, close to 50 or I mean 150 of his match ammo, 150 rounds of his match ammo, just so I could check it out and try his trigger, his rifle. I could, you know, see the benefits of his scope and then have me look through other scopes. And um, he didn't know me, didn't know me from Adam. All I could say was guy's name was Bruce. I mean, that that's literally, that was the extent of, of us getting to know each other. He just wanted me to, to, to learn about it and, and wanted to help me because he enjoys the sport. And that's what you'll find with so many people like this in all the different comps. So 
I know I've talked a lot about, about those you know, each different style of matches. Um, hope I could provide a little bit of inf information for you there. I can't encourage you enough to go out and just enjoy shooting. You know, we love to shoot. We're rimfire fanatics. We talk about it all the time. And from my standpoint, if you're going out and shooting competitions, it's just a great way to get some more trigger time and to also add in a little stress or a little sense of urgency that most of us would not do on our own. It's almost like uh, going to the gym to work out. You can think you're pushing yourself hard and maybe you are, but if you're working out with a trainer, that trainer is always going to push you harder. And the same thing holds true. You can put a time limit on yourself when you're shooting a stage that you've created, um, you know, when you're out practicing on your own, but when you're, you know, you're firing their last round and the, the buzzer goes off and you pull the trigger, you, you may count that as that's a hit in a match. They're going to tell you the buzzer went off or timer, you know, that went off and then you broke the shot. So that's a miss. Same thing is going to be true as far as getting in uh, positions faster. You can't just restart each time. So, you know, really find a way to get out and shoot. If you're short on ammo, don't worry about having match ammo. Just go and shoot. Have a great time. So that's it for this week's episode. I hope you guys um, got a lot out of it. As always, please head over to iTunes or Podbean, wherever you listen to you know, your podcast. Give us a five-star review. Uh, give us some feedback. Let us know what we can do better. Let us know what you like. Hey, if you don't like the podcast, no problem. Give us a review. Let us know that. Those are how. Those are all things that um, the the podcast apps like iTunes. That's how they determine the podcast that they show to people who are doing searches. It's also how we get better. If you know you don't like the content. If I don't know it, I can't make it better for you. Last but not least, if you are not a member of the Rimfire Tactical Facebook group, please do go over and join, request to join. Um, a couple key things. Answer the questions. There's three of them. If you don't answer the questions, you will not get into the group. Our feeling is if you can't take the time to answer the questions, and they're simple ones, if you can't take the time to answer those questions, then you're probably going to be somebody who's not going to obey the group rules and create problems which, which could potentially um, give Facebook a reason to completely uh, destroy the group. So that's why we have those questions. Take the time and answer them. And then last but not least, head on over to rimfiretactical.com. There's going to be a sign-up form where you can sign up for our blog. Um, you'll get updates on not only what's happening with the podcast, but also updates on what's happening with the soon-to-be Rimfire Tactical Forum. If you know someone that you'd like to hear as a guest on the show, shoot me an email, contact at rimfiretactical.com. Shoot me an email if you would like to be on the podcast, maybe your competitor, somebody in the industry, or if you've got someone that you'd like to be on here. We're always looking for guests. I can assure you I didn't start this um, you know, years ago with the intention for me to do the talking all the time. So that's it for this week's episode. Go out, shoot fast, shoot often, have fun. Cheers.